0: Hello, welcome to Serenity Wellness Podcast. My name is Nicole White and I'll be your host. This podcast is dedicated to helping you tap into your full potential of how you can heal and balance your mental, emotional, and physical well being. Together, let's explore our inner self, connect with our strength, and manifest your true nature one full of love, purpose, and passion. Welcome to episode 40 Honoring the Roots of Mindfulness. I'd first like to just say a very special thank you to Insight Timer for selecting my Stress and Overwhelm episode as your staff pick. I truly appreciate it, as well as all your app does to help people get more into mindfulness and the exploration of what that can do for themselves. So thank you so much, and thank you all for all your support and continued encouragement. I really appreciate it all. So with today, I have been discussing in various episodes with you mindfulness and Not only the just many different effects it can have on our whole body system in terms of emotional, mental, and physical health, but also all the different ways we can try to incorporate it into our daily life. Today, I've been sipping some tea with Kevin Briggs, and we were talking about some of the research he's doing uh, related to mindfulness. You might remember Kevin from episode 12 when we looked at mindfulness in schools, And from that, you may remember also that he's currently studying his doctorate in education with a focus on mindfulness. So I'm excited to have him here with me today. And we thought as we're talking this through, we should probably make this into a podcast. So thank you, Kevin, for joining me today.
1: Very nice to be here.
0: Wonderful. So how about we start, you know, maybe uh, we were talking about your research. How about you just talk a little bit about what you're doing in terms of research there?
1: Sure. Uh, So again, it's nice to be here. Uh, What I'm doing with my research is I'm looking into participants' experiences with compassion practices while they're taking a mindfulness-based intervention program, which is a training program that people can go and take. And this particular program that I'm researching is for teachers. So that's what I'm up to. And Right now, I'm just knee deep in data analysis, and I've collected it all. And I'm I'm looking, you know, quite uh, in quite a detailed way at the methodology that I'm using, and trying to sort all these things out. So I'm just, I'm really uh, right in the thick of it, is what is what I'm doing. But one thing that has come up for me in the research is. some some issues i think that are related to mindfulness practices in the west mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll start it off by saying the re- the way i arrived at my research topic was through an interest in buddhism
0: okay.
1: and that that uh, is something that i've um, been developing, cultivating for a number of years and and i'll almost say formally practicing for the past seven or eight years Um, And so my interest in Buddhism and the associated practices with Buddhism Led me to mindfulness research Mm -hmm. Um, And that led me to look at a mindfulness based intervention program, which like I described um, Is a program where people go to get trained in mindfulness practices typically to reduce their stress
0: okay, sure
1: and they're very valuable programs. I mean, and they have nothing but upside. They mm. are definitely effective, um, you know, time and time again in whatever research project is going on with those programs. It shows positive results, positive impacts on their stress. Mm. <clears throat> and so it's a great testament to the efficacy of mindfulness practices. Right. But one thing that happens in those programs is um, they offer really um just the practices Mm. um and so it's not it's quite common just to go to a mindfulness based intervention program for a week or so and get trained in breathing practices you get guided through um um, walking meditation um, different types of relaxation techniques even metta meditation and body scans and all these different things Mm -hmm. um and so so the people who are there getting trained are, are benefiting from those practices. But um, the thing that isn't included in those practices are the roots of the practices. And it's by design. Um, it's to the point where the particular program that I'm looking at um, won't even use a gong to start um, a breathing session. And we'll call a breathing session meditation because the gong and the word meditation tie it to a spiritual tradition, mm-hmm. and if not a spiritual tradition, even more broadly, uh, a different culture from a different part of the world.
0: Right. So taking out a whole component in the teaching.
1: Yeah. And the reason why they're taking out that those components, what what they'll say is because, oh, it'll detract from, people won't be as interested if mm-hmm. they think it has to do with this spirituality because some people don't want to go And be associated with a different kind of spirituality or or even a different culture Um, but what that really means is that it's less marketable Mm. and so this is uh in one way of looking at it 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 boils down to uh, being a financial issue because these programs are quite expensive to hire people in to, to come to come do right um and my position on that as a As a practicing Buddhist, and and I'm not firmly in the camp of any particular type of Buddhism, I Mm -hmm. certainly have my preferences, but um, as most uh, Westerners are who Mm -hmm. maybe call themselves Buddhists, Mm -hmm. I I kind of take a synthesis of the practices, and in my Mm -hmm. particular case, uh, with an emphasis on Theravada Buddhism and the Pali Canon and the earliest complete teachings that we have. Um, And the practices in those mindfulness-based intervention programs... Are practices detailed in the Pali Canon? And so, because of my uh, spiritual inclinations, I'm aware of that. And so, as I'm sitting here doing the research on this program and the way it's rolled out, um, it's definitely that they're leaving a component of it out, but I would argue that they're leaving an essential component of the practices out because the practices emerged from a cultural tradition. Um, it wasn't like this group of people just decided that these practices would lower their blood pressure and de-stress them and have Mm -hmm. and help the rheumatoid arthritis and lower their blood sugar count for diabetes and all these things it it's it's not the case it it, they arose concurrently Um, just like the rise of yoga Mm -hmm. uh, in in the ancient um, in the East and um, so My contention is that the mindfulness-based intervention training programs that are being rolled out um, lack something very important because they choose to not include the philosophical foundation of the mindfulness practices. And without that philosophical foundation, the practices themselves are ultimately kind of superficial because they also mean something beyond um, just lowering your heart rate. Sure, mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's even to the point where they will intentionally, the designers will intentionally leave out any any um, of the philosophical foundation that the practices emerge from, but then later try to align the efficacy of the practices with a philosophical um, dissertation or, or what have you that somebody wrote in the 1980s from America. Mm-hmm. And so... It's, they're searching for a philosophy to tie it to, but it already had a philosophy. And so mm-hmm. there's some irony in that. And so that's def- something that definitely strikes me. And then this summer, I was looking at an issue of Yoga Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the May, June, 2019 issue. And in that issue, they had a special section on the roots of mindfulness.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: in that special section, there were five um, Indian women, uh, women of Indian descent, I should say, they're primarily American. Um, but they were women of Indian descent. uh, If I'm not mistaken, each of their um, sets of parents were from India and immigrated to America. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they were talking all about was essentially the roots of yoga, um, akin to mindfulness practices, certainly, um, and what their experience is like as a person of Indian descent practicing yoga in the West mm. Because as as I'm sure you're aware um, Yoga was initially something offered for free Right in India mm-hmm. and it was part of a spiritual tradition mm-hmm. and not only was it just kind of a spiritual tradition, but it was a very comprehensive cultural uh, component of the people there and so and, of course, in the West, it's a billion-dollar industry.
0: Yes. It's now very much about the money. Right. In a lot of different facets.
1: Right. And so what they describe, and I won't go into detail about what they're, they're each talking about because I would just encourage anyone to go get that copy of Yoga Journal. And, and, but the, the cliff notes are, they're essentially uh, talking about five things. And one is a cultural appropriation of yoga and what cultural appropriation is, is literally the taking, marketing, and exotification of cultural practices from historically mm-hmm. oppressed populations. And that is something that is um, definitely true about India, because when yoga started being extracted from India was during the British colonial rule, which officially lasted from started in 1858 and ended in the 1940s, but really started hundreds of years prior, mm-hmm. and then Some Indian people were deciding to, first of all, leave India, but then that's also when the practices were, they were known about prior to that in the West, but that's um, part of what was going on there. And so another was the language that is used in Western yoga classes, and so even getting down to words like getting into the etymology of what does the word namaste actually mean? And... You know why are we saying the word om and should we use sanskrit words and a lot of western yoga studios don't and Mm -hmm. won't use sanskrit words um a third topic that they were talking about was was simply um the bottom line of the cultural appropriation of yoga to the west has to do with making money right and you have people, um, basically open up yoga studios and charging for it and, and kind of doing what they will with it. And a lot of times what the bottom line is, is to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe because I, I, I think it's the truth about people is that, you know, yoga helps people. I mean, the way it's presented in the West often helps people. And I think that's, what's driving a lot of it but but also people are employed as yoga instructors owning yoga studios and that kind of thing um fourth point was called the trouble with tourism and this has to do with um people from the west going to india to find themselves and to find this spiritual uh, truths or something that they're missing in the west and they go there and they have this experience and they come back and they tell everybody about it sometimes going there for a teacher training and come back coming back and, and selling services in some way and posting it all over Instagram that they were there and saying their whole lives are changed but India is barely a first world country mm-hmm. and so to go to India to experience that type of thing is also to experience a lot of poverty and a lot of people who are who are living in um, sometimes challenging conditions and so there's a little bit of a, a misfire there and what the and, and what the woman writing uh, that particular article had to say about it was, it's an example of Western imperialism, mm. where uh, people from the West, and she's saying uh, Caucasians are will insert themselves into other parts of the world and go there for their own personal purposes and take whatever it is they want and then leave, uh, despite whatever impact it may have on the people there. And then the fifth um, point was really a call to action. And I think that's where Um, something like being on on your podcast here can be really helpful because that's what it really boils down to I mean so we have this situation with mindfulness practices and the west and yoga in the west and these things are all documented as having very little downside Mm -hmm. they're mostly all upside everybody's benefiting from it Um, you go to a yin yoga class restorative power yoga or you go to a meditation class and and you're better for it Mm -hmm. and that's what the case is But there still is this issue that exists of cultural appropriation because these practices began some other place and now they're over here and they're just lacking something. And not only that, but the people that from the place where these practices emerged, um, kind of devalued when Mm -hmm. it comes to these practices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and that's also what the the women writing the articles talked about was what it's like to be an Indian woman in a yoga class in America and that kind of thing so I really am just interested in just fleshing all this out yeah and then having a discussion about it and just being willing to see all the parts in an honest way Um, this is a situation where a lot of similar to a lot of race relations in America where um, it's important to see who the affected people are. And more often than not, the affected people are affected due to their race. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to see that because that's the place that those people are operating from as well as us in in a lot of ways of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And so really, I would just like to have a discussion about it and and just be willing to talk about this particular situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for <laughs> Sorry, so I know I went on and on there, <laughs> no, but no, that was I just great. have a lot to say, you, know? <laughs> you got a lot to say. No, that was great. And there's uh, you know, all these different points in terms of um, not only what we're missing out on of the full practice when we kind of uh, pick and choose what elements we're presenting and teaching, um even you know, when it comes from, in terms of like the spirituality component and even the vibrational component, you know, taking out OM, for example, you're taking out a whole component of the practice, you know, you're taking out the, the meaning of why OM is used, but also the vibrational change it brings into the whole body system when in that practice. And then when we look at the issue of, um, you know, kind of classism and uh, the monetary gain of this. I mean, as a business owner, I, I people who know me personally know, I struggle with that aspect. I would love to just offer everything for free. Um, so I have a hard time often charging money for things. But um, it is this aspect of how do we balance uh, continuing to grow it here uh, and not make it about uh, the greed component that can sometimes come with the money aspect and then additionally, how it really creates more of a, you know, only certain people can afford to be going to India for these trips. And so it takes out also like a whole segment of the population and where yoga studios are popping up and where they're not and where meditation's being held and where it's not. And so the expansion of that in aligned with, you know, bringing in the full component of the history, uh, I think it's lacking in so many ways. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll flip it back to you. Mm-hmm. And because I, <laughs> I There's so and much to talk about, going on and on. But you know, just the summary of, of kind of all those different ways. Mm-hmm. And like, now, what do we do with it? Like, what happens from here, as we're aware?
1: Yeah, it's a complex issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, because on the one hand, I totally agree with what the the women who wrote those articles in in Yoga Journal spoke about, and I think it also aligns with I'm sorry, what they wrote about, and I think it also aligns with what I'm seeing in the research that I'm doing and mm-hmm. just the development of these programs. And so, and one sense, I'm I'm in that camp for sure, mm-hmm. uh, and I think my heart is really in that camp, but but it's also true that the practices as they're presented in the West currently um, often help people. Absolutely. And they off, they are also, not only are they often helping people, but they're being presented and really marketed Mm -hmm. to people who may not otherwise know about them, or if they do know about them, be willing to access them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, I, you know, it sounds a lot different to say, I'm going to Pilates and then to say, I'm going, um, you know, somewhere to work on my prana,
0: (laughs) you know? Your prana. (laughs) Oh, what's your prana? Yeah, yeah, what's prana? Like (laughs) that sounds, you know. (laughs) Tell me about Uh, it.
1: Right. And so, so there's, there's something to offering people these practices really, Mm -hmm. um, to, to get them familiar with it. Um, and so it's not all bad, but there is this it's it's a kind of it's an elephant in the room so to speak where it's it's like well at what point is it fine just the way it is or at what point are we doing uh is there a little is there an injustice going on to the people who who you know descend from where these practices came from at what point um do we just teach breathing practices so people can just you know calm down for example uh do we want meditation trainings in corporations mm-hmm. for where CEOs are interested in their staff being more productive. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, if we it, do. Right. <laughs> and so if that's the case, uh, do those people need to know um, Sanskrit terms mm-hmm. or Pali terms or anything mm-hmm. like that? And, you know, maybe not for what they're trying to get out of it because what they're trying to get out of it is this capitalistic gain. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the CEOs are paying for it. So their workers will be more efficient so they'll all make more money and mm-hmm. business will be more secure. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's like a business initiative. Um, but still those people who are working in in that capacity and getting these mindfulness trainings and that kind of thing, um, are benefiting from mindfulness of breath and body scans mm-hmm. and they're doing loving kindness and uh you know, it's not usually called that, but they're doing meta meditations mm-hmm. where they send love and kindness to themselves and then out to others. Um you know, and so the, the question is, is how, how, when, and, and, and maybe why do we try to sort of represent the roots of mindfulness so that we're doing what, what is, is likely the ethically responsible thing to do when we take something from, from somebody and, uh, and try to, and try to give credit for it. And at what point, um, are the practices more meaningful? When they are somehow tied to the culture from which they emerged
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they the way they emerged in those cultures was as a way of salvation and liberation
0: right
1: they, they weren't just looking to to chill i mean right. they were looking to do that I'm right sure. it
0: was much broader than that broader mm-hmm. and
1: you know a lot of times they live i'm sure you I mean we're talking ancient history mm-hmm. here and so times are and so it's uh, so there are different reasons for practicing, I guess. And but it's just like, what do we do with it? How do we bring in the roots, and 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 make and blend it with what we already have going on in the West, and and kind of satisfy all the parties? Um, I don't know. I think the question really has to do with uh, there has to be a talk about whether the roots of mindfulness are marketable or not.
0: Yeah, and it's such a. Um just an interesting, interesting place that we're in right now in terms of it becoming more known, you know, mindfulness being almost like this buzzword, uh, Mm. and you know, um, how, like you're saying, like, how do we determine what information to share with who and and how to even sequence it out so that we're having more open listening, I Mm -hmm. guess is, is the best way to put it for me. Uh, you know, I, was asked to present at a psychiatric center on holistic health and healing. And uh, I'm not anti-medication, but um, my wellness center is more focused on natural healing through herbs, body work, breath work, etc. All these things we're talking about and then some. And so when I went to present, it's not their typical method of of what they do. They're much more medication-based, as right now most psychiatric centers, at least this side of the U.S., are focused on. And so when we were talking about, um, or I was talking about and presenting about things uh, when I got into the discussion of mindfulness and yoga and the practice of that in terms of helping individuals who are on the unit, and I really focused also on the children's unit, really helping with this relaxation. And you're talking about the the money and the questions that kept coming up. Everyone in the room was on board with how this could really be helpful for people, but how is it billable? How can we make Mm -hmm. money from it? And, you know, I encourage them to look more at the mental health aspect of it. You know, it's a lot of it is a form of dialectical behavior therapy. So incorporating it in that type of thing, but it always ends up for corporations coming back to the monetary value mm-hmm. and how we then determine too, like, what aspects do we add in? Like you brought up corporations, I think of police officers getting trained uh, mm-hmm. in mindfulness and meditation and the results and statistics of what mm-hmm. it's showing in terms of their ability to... Uh, to really stay calm in all of these high stress and trigger situations that they're in. And when I think in terms of like how to incorporate more of what we're talking about here, this this roots and and where we go back to, at least the way I personally do it is I, I try to introduce people to the concepts. I try to have them experience some of the things with me. And then we start getting into the cultural component of it. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's not only about these aspects we're, we're talking about, but it helps people... Maybe not everybody, and uh, maybe not everybody needs this, so I don't mean to say it in that way, but we often have a lot of stereotypes or blocks or walls uh, in front of us and our ability to really embrace and understand other cultures and where things come from and the history behind why we do things. And anything that I can do to help provide little crumbs of information to people, it just... For me i feel like it helps us break down this divide it helps us take away stereotypes and this appreciation of where things come from it's such a cultural component of where this all came from and for us to take that out completely i think we're denying people a true opportunity for what they can gain and so sometimes i'll go right into that direction or sometimes i'll go more into the metaphysical part of like we're all one and the oneness component of the Mm -hmm. universal energy and how. Whether I'm here or I'm in India, we're all from the same energy and then we'll try to kind of go through that avenue. But it's really, uh, you know, again, such an interesting place because there's more people being open to it, but their level of openness is, you know, kind of, they have certain checklist items of what they're really open to initially.
1: You know, and it's something that, that, that phenomenon right there began with, the, with the with yoga coming to America basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then certainly Buddhism, and then in in the seventies, more specifically mindfulness, right? Um, that's the been the 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 way of it since the inception of it in the West, mm-hmm. uh, because it started. You know, this is my rough history of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> everything about the history, yeah. but I do know. That when the British colonized India, yoga, in the places where there were British colonies, the people in those places were not allowed to practice yoga publicly. Mm. They weren't allowed to publicly, um, I guess, use or practice, employ Ayurvedic practices. Mm. And the things that they had been doing for centuries that had led to their own personal, uh, you know, social, emotional, and physical health were all of a sudden things that they weren't allowed to do. And sometimes those people in those places, the Indian people were not allowed to even walk on the main streets. Wow. And so that was in a lot of ways India's introduction. Well, I should put it this way. That was a lot of way the West's
0: mm.
1: introduction to India was, we're going to go colonize that place and attempt to ins- you know, insert ourselves and the way we do things and the way they did things. Is not okay, um, which sounds an awful lot like the American story, mm, right? <laughs> you know, sure does. <laughs> and so there's there's a pattern, mm-hmm. and so you have, and and I think it would be very helpful in this podcast, uh, in this time we have here, to to make sure we give voice to the fact mm-hmm. that when the the things that these women were writing about in the may june 2019 edition of yoga journal um there has parallels to to any culture around the world that is has been has had someone come in Mm. push them aside and also take from them and so and it's it's the the bottom line definition of cultural appropriation and, and, and also take from them for gain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's what the slave trade was all about coming to America. It's what, um, what was going on essentially with the native Americans mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. you know, you need to get out of here, but, well, there's a couple things we want from you, right. you know, first of all, your land, yeah. you know, and then all these Life. other things. Yeah. And so there's this historical pattern. And so what, what they're speaking out about in that in that edition of yoga journal is is not only their own personal experience as people of color living in America and having to sort of navigate their way through what's essentially racism mm-hmm. um but they're also giving voice to other people who've experienced the same things and what they all have in common and you know my 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 politically correct racial terminology is not always like, I'm not like the, I don't know all about it, but basically what they all have in common is that they're not white. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's, it's a real thing. And and what I give them credit for in their, in their articles, first of all, pointing it out. Secondly, saying, yes, we're talking about race here. And third, not so much pointing fingers at people. Mm-hmm. They're not saying not really, even asking for anything. They're, what they're really going for is awareness um, and dialogue and representation and an acknowledgement of this thing, because you know that this thing that they go into a studio and do for an hour, uh, yoga, has deeply significant um, implications for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, in particular, was a is a certified yoga teacher and she describes not being selected to teach certain classes because her voice is too nasally and Indian Mm. and those types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just that like that upsets her and that she's, you know, feeling a certain way about it, but it's confusing. Sure. And it's like, first of all, you know, that's, that's, that's a, you know, pretty bigoted thing to say. Mm -hmm. But secondly, um, how did things get to be like this, you know, we're we're talking yoga in my household growing up, um, this was our spiritual tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, and now I'm at a a gym or something, or I'm at some place where it's, and and nonetheless talking about one aspect of yoga, one limb of yoga, Mm -hmm. asana practices, the physical practices, which, and of course, I'm sure all the listeners know, but um, Mm -hmm. there's eight limbs of Mm -hmm. yoga. And one of them has to do with movement. Right. And so they start then, um, you know, if you actually go to um, some of their, and I'm, I'm, I've been avoiding using their names because I don't want to disrespect them because I don't necessarily know how to pronounce their names sometimes. But we have uh, the last person to, to write an article was Susanna Barkataki. Mm. And she has a website that you can go check out. And on that website, she gives suggestions for how yoga studios or yoga teachers in particular can do things to incorporate the roots back into the practices Mm -hmm. and do so in a way that that are likely not to be too offensive and one one way of course was to focus on other limbs of yoga Mm -hmm. Um, so if we're doing asana practice for 45 minutes um there can be a sitting uh, meditation practice at Mm -hmm. the end which is um which is really what the original intention of asana was anyway was right. to set up the sitting meditation because mm-hmm. it was really about meditation, right?
0: And going and, within and really yeah. connecting there. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so it was, and then just kind of uh, encouraging these different aspects of yoga that everybody can get in tune with. And I think um, it's the same goes with mindfulness practices. Um, you know, one particular thing that I that I that I like to sort of talk about (laughs) is that uh, they won't use the word meditation in mindfulness based Mm -hmm. interventions that Mm -hmm. are research based because it's too much of a loaded term. Right. Um, and really, um, that's, it's an, it's ironic because in these, um, Western mindfulness based intervention programs, there's not even agreed upon definition of what meditation is. Mm. And the reason they haven't paid too much attention to it is because it's a loaded term. So they avoid the term. Mm. Um, Which seems kind of silly because it's, uh, first of all, an English word, and it's not the translation for dhyana or Mm. or whatever the, the Sanskrit term and Pali terms would be. It's its own term, and it also applies to things that don't even have anything to do with the East. Right. And you can be meditative or have a meditation... And uh, it's a word that exists with or without the ancient East, yeah. but they won't use it because it's too closely connected. And the other thing is, is if you're going to have a meta meditation, a loving kindness meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, loving kindness is not really the best term for that type of meditation. Mm-hmm. It's the English translation. Sometimes it's loving friendliness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's loving kindness. And what it is is an attempt to make sense of what the original word was, mm-hmm. which in Pali was meta. Right. And so, I the so why not use the word? It's the word, and it it perfect. It, it most effectively conceptualizes what the thing is that the people are going to sit there and do. Yeah. Um, and the reason why not to do it is because it's this ancient, primarily well oral um, language that doesn't have a script that's associated with. Um the Buddha, mm-hmm. and really it's probably not the language that the Buddha spoke um, because the the Pali scriptures really all gelled a time after he was uh no passed away anyway Mm. and all the regional dialects and all the different languages back then with no uniformity and barely any writing I mean things were just it was like the wild west of languages back then and so who knows what he spoke so it's not even the word but it's it's encapsulated in Pali which was originally transcribed in Sinhalese Mm. which is then translated into English Mm, and so luck be lost (laughs) so we're avoiding this word um You know and it it's uh it's just a really good example of it those those are easy ways to bring the roots back in nonetheless um
0: i was going to say real quick as you're talking no 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 as you're talking about uh, the use of the word um in doing meditation coaching with people i've noticed that two different things uh can tend to come up there when i use the word meditation um, both of them creating almost like a block uh, for the individual moving forward in the practice and the first is what you're talking about—the cultural kind of component that can come in at times. But often, too, I notice we have, uh, like a, at least here in the U.S. And I know we have listeners all over. Um, In a lot of different countries, which is awesome. But at least here in the U.S., I've noticed that um, at times when you use the word meditation, we have this stereotype of what it means. And people have a fear component or a I can't do that. And they're like, what do you mean? I can't meditate. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't meditate? Well, I can't not have any thoughts. And so we automatically can go to that idea of meditation looks and is something very specific. So therefore, I cannot do it because I cannot do that. And that exploration of like, you know, you're saying meditation, it's such a loose term in a lot of ways. It has this component back in history, but also how this idea of discussion of change, like how we change our own societal block of meditation having to be and look a certain way where we lose track of walking in nature is meditative, mm-hmm. you know, um, Connecting with washing the dishes can be meditative. There's so many different forms and it doesn't have to look and be like you're sitting for an hour and there's nothing going on in your mind. And, uh, you know, even just the spectrum of meditation where it could be something you're doing in the moment all the way up to a transcendental meditation or a Zazen, you know, emptiness type of meditation. Mm -hmm. So I think too, just like helping the stereotype of what we think that means so Mm -hmm. that we can be more open to really understanding the broadness of what that means.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, again, with um, that that particular thing with meditation, uh, that seems to be the most common thing that I hear when I discuss meditation with mm-hmm. people is that they either tried it and were trying to, you know, wipe all the thoughts out of their head right. <laughs> or that they um, didn't try it because they thought there was no possible way they could do that.
0: Right, exactly.
1: And it's And so the real simple lesson on it is obviously, I mean, you know, I'm talking to you and and everybody about this, but the real simple answer to that is obviously like, well, that's not what you're, that's not the goal. You're just
0: meditating. You're meditating. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're already doing it. (laughs) And if you try, you're not going to wipe the thoughts out of your head. And and the thing is, is um, there's just very well articulated uh, non-secular, delivered teachings on that mm. that have ex- existed and been developed and evolved and seemingly infinitely varied for thousands of years mm-hmm. about just that thing the monkey mind yes. and what do we do with our brain and oh my gosh i close my eyes and i focus on my breath and i realize mm. how you know wild i am crazy i am or whatever <laughs> right. you know which I meditated this morning Mm -hmm. guess what (laughs) I think I'm a pretty good meditator and I sat there and I was like what is wrong with me I can't do this you know (laughs) and so I sat there and just came back to my breath over and over and over Mm -hmm. and then when I finally opened my eyes it felt good and now here I am sitting here talking about it right now and so that's the thing and but but there there's just a well-established tradition and even being in um, the training that I'm researching this summer when I attended it people would raise their hands Um, oftentimes new meditators Mm. and uh, our mindfulness practitioners and they would they would raise their hand and and ask um, you know it doesn't seem like I can do this I have a blockage or Mm. I you know I'm trying to visualize someone who loved me and dwell on it but I just can't because I don't know why what's your suggestion Mm -hmm. and the truth of the matter is is there's a long lineage and history and tradition of lots of different suggestions for what to do with that. <laughs> yes. And mm-hmm. the presenters certainly weren't going to talk about any of that. Mm-hmm. And so what they were presenting it from was this research based mm-hmm. here's what here's what you can try to do with yourself. And ultimately, um, you know, quite honestly, some of those people were the, are the participants in my study, and th- that came up in some of the interviews um and they were it was a turnoff for them Mm. because they were just like I was willing to do it and I had this problem and it seemed like nobody was willing to to help me with with Mm. what I was doing and of course my biased perception on that is (laughs) like well that's you know there's there's a lot you can do with that and Mm -hmm. by the way here's a couple books you could read Mm -hmm. and here's a place you can go and all this stuff uh but the point is is that This rich thousand-year-old history, whether we're talking yoga or mindfulness or anything, exists and is well developed from an experiential Mm -hmm. standpoint. Um, It's this sometimes oral tradition, sometimes voluminously written down tradition. The Buddhist Mm -hmm. uh, Pali Canon, most complete set of scriptures from early Buddhism, the only complete set of scriptures from early Buddhism, Mm -hmm. 39 volumes in the original set, the Bible, the Christian Bible is one volume compared to that. Wow, thirty-nine volumes, and that was just the initially discovered, like early set. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, by now there, there's like forty-nine or fifty volumes, mm-hmm. and so you could literally fill your whole wall with suggestions on what to do with your mind mm-hmm. when it wanders in meditation. Mm-hmm. You a know, lot of
0: information. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot,
1: and that's just mm-hmm. one tradition
0: mm-hmm. that has nothing
1: to say about what's going on in China. That has nothing to say about what's. Uh, the the history of all the different varieties of yoga, yeah. and including the history that the Buddha himself grew up in the Sankhya tradition, it mm-hmm. um, has nothing to say about Jainism or any of these meditative traditions that people then practiced, including all the way up until today. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. we choose not to put it in just because people it'll be turned off or something. Mm-hmm. And so so I feel like the balance is somewhere between. Okay, we want people to do this. And okay, capitalists, you know, you want to go make money on it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm talking about people who who's, that seems to be the, the primary bottom line. Um, but there's actually not only would it be respectful to include all this information that already exists from the, mm-hmm. from the ancient East, but also seems like kind of a good idea. It might be our best information. Right. You know, thousands of years of billions, at least, of people Sorting through exactly the best ways to go about these practices, right? Um, and so that it's kind of you know, I the more I talk about it, the the kind of more I want to talk about it. But um, and and I want to also say that I think they are really well intentioned mindfulness um, teachers and yoga mm-hmm. studios Absolutely. and instructors, mm-hmm. and certainly like you're one of them. I mean, oh, you're thanks. like <laughs> leader of the pack. But it's it's <laughs> um, you know, and so so there are people out there in the West, you know, doing, uh, with a re- with a really deep seated, um, connection and understanding and even belief in the practices for what they are. And then mm-hmm. are trying to present those to people and bridge that gap and give them as much as they can of the essence of the practice. Uh, well, while, while not overwhelming people. Cause I remember even I, when I was, um, just getting into Buddhism, mm-hmm. it took me a while to even think that meditation was something that I felt like doing, mm, sure. uh, because it was I was really into all the the psychological component of it and all the the logic involved and this whole philosophy. Mm-hmm. But every time I was I would be reading about meditation, it wasn't that I didn't think I could do it; it was just that I didn't want to. Sure. It was like a little too much for me or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So I would sort of label myself as a person who was could be like if I was coming to you for the first time, for example, there, there are people like this out there who could be easily reached, mm, you sure. know, and, and who would be interested in, in, these, in the depth of what's being offered. And I think more people have it in them than, than, than the corporate world gives them credit for mm-hmm. and also that they give credit to themselves. So it's, it's a matter mm-hmm. of maybe finding whatever, how, however we can bridge that gap. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I don't, it's like an ongoing discussion. I mean, I don't, you know, and it, can, it will hopefully involve lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: you know, I have such an appreciation for, you know, the research you're doing and how science is expanding so much more here because, um, you know, so my, I think most of you know, but in case you're new, my primary role at Serenity is as a mental health therapist. And um, in that, for me, I have found that the more I can start incorporating science into some of this, the more open people are becoming to it, which then I feel like is opening up more space for what we've been talking about here today and um, kind of the buy-in mm-hmm. to starting to learn more about the history because mm-hmm. whether it's a good, bad, doesn't really matter. Oftentimes for many people, they have this like little part of their brain that is longing to see the science behind it for yeah. that willingness and, and moving forward. So I think as more and more people like yourself and other aspects of science are looking at what mindfulness and meditation is doing for us, I think more and more people will also be open to some of this other stuff we're talking about in terms of where we can get back into incorporating some of this roots and where it came from.
1: Yep, it's even that's and that's the approach when we're when we're even getting together to go offer people trainings. Mm-hmm. Um we start with the bottom line. Right. And the bottom line is, is what can this do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, in an academic setting, I mean, if we train teachers to in mindfulness practices, what it can do for that organization is that you have better people in the room mm-hmm. for their clients, which are the kids, and then their kids are in a better position to do well, mm-hmm. which, again, for the, for the school district and our public mm-hmm. school districts in America, has a lot to do with test scores and funding. Right. And so so it's like approaching it that way is, is sort of an entry point but they want to see the research right and the, and the great news is is that even in the way that it's being presented in this in this really kind of like the 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 uh the top layer of the earth's crust mm-hmm. is basically what we're giving everybody we're right. saying with with and it's even in this way that it's being presented it's uh benefiting you know millions ev- millions of people Absolutely. and there's no documented downside the only the the, the only thing that's documented as as going sort of um, resulting in a negative experience for people in mindfulness-based interventions is that sometimes they go to the trainings and at the end of the week they definitely have their heart rate lowered and all mm-hmm. these different kind of physical things going on, but they're depressed. Right. And the reason is, is because you step out of your life in our in, mm-hmm. in the way of, of, of our culture with um, all the distractions and all the things that we can keep us mm-hmm. from focusing on ourselves and then you step into a retreat setting mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're focusing on yourself right and so the people report uh, there there are some uh, negative reports from people because they're um, you know first of all not used to doing that and secondly they aren't used to looking at the thing the sources of their uh, suffering, you know. Yeah. But,
0: which is so important, um, and, yeah. you know, uh, tons of different aspects. And I, I know I've talked about that in several different episodes about our suffering and kind of dropping in to ourselves. I'll be talking about it more on uh, the next episode I have lined up in terms of like leading with curiosity and how. You know, our suffering provides growth, but also the idea of self-care is often a misconception. You know, we think of just self-care as going to a retreat and just being there and not the everyday self-care and that sometimes self-care is doing things we don't want to do, like creating a budget or getting rid of toxic relationships. So, Mm
1: -hmm. you
0: know, there's so much in even the mindful awareness of self that has to do with all these different categories and, and pockets in life. So... Again, you know, I I thank you uh, for being on the podcast and sharing all this information and all the research that you're doing. And as you said, it's kind of like an ongoing discussion. And, um, you know, hopefully this gave some listeners some ideas themselves of how they might start to incorporate some of this understanding into the things that you're doing. Um, If you're in the area of practice in teaching others, but also in terms of self and how you might be able to start exploring some of this. I will try to add some uh, resources in the session notes as well uh, for you to start exploring some of what we're talking about here. But are there other aspects or other ideas that you want to share with us today and also making sure that you share with listeners how they can get in touch with you?
1: Um, I think, I, uh, first and foremost, I just want to say that I love the podcast <laughs> Thanks, and I love Serenity. I go to Serenity and I do yoga there. <laughs> I've done, I've had, been the recipient, I suppose, or... Uh, or whatnot of Reiki mm, there yes, and yes. <laughs> um, I'm uh, it's just a great thing in our community Thank and, you, uh, right from the heart of uh, what this is all about in my opinion um, so that that's all I, ha- I don't have anything else no more any more suggestions or anything but I will um, you know if anybody I, I love talking about this stuff yes. obviously and uh, it can be quite a heavy topic it doesn't have to be and uh, you know uh, I think maybe it is for me right now because I'm just like basically my full time occupation is mm. reading about it because <laughs> yes. I'm doing all this research. So it doesn't have to be like that. Though, I promise. <laughs> but if, if uh, so, Kevin T. Briggs at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, um, mindful underscore mandolin. Because
0: um, he's a very talented mandolin player, also. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and thank you. And then, uh, also I'm on Facebook as Kevin Briggs, but, uh, but really, um, you know, I, if anybody, I'd love to hear from people on email and, uh, I'm certainly, um, looking for, looking into this as much as possible kind of thing. So.
0: Excellent. Thanks again, Kevin. And, Um, I know mostly the place that people leave feedback is through Insight Timer through my episodes. And with that, again, I know that there's uh, listeners all over the U.S., but also I think it's like 33 or 35 other countries right now. So if you have a moment to give us some of your feedback on there, uh, I would love to hear about some insight from people in other countries or across the U.S. if you're finding the same thing, or maybe you have some ideas, too, of how we can start to get rooted back into where mindfulness came from. So we can have a full picture of healing. So thank you, everybody. Thank you again, Kevin, for joining us today. And uh, you have some information there on how to reach Kevin. I'll put that in the notes as well. And you're welcome to check us out online at serenitywellnesscenter.com as well as Instagram and Facebook to see what we have happening. Thanks as always, and I'll talk to you soon.